Uh, we're going to go back and look at it one more time, you know, just because we're sort of fascinated by it. I am, anyway, despite the mechanics of it all. The GS Plumbing Talk Line is 1-800-905-0989. The Common Sense Retirement Planning Text Line is 71307. Streaming live on the WORD Facebook page. And all of this content is available on the Odyssey app for free. Straight talk, lock and load. And you can also get uh, Gun Owners News Hour as soon as the artwork gets back. So it's all right there for you. In the summer of 2020, we began to see that some states had gone in there and legally and illegally, they changed their voting rules in a way that removed any safeguard against fraud. So going into this, everybody, I mean, Trump was out there saying they're going to steal the election. Then on election night, six major precincts, election outcome changing precincts, stopped counting votes altogether. When you add in all the other evidence in the subsequent weeks showing fraud, including Biden's unbelievably soaring vote count long after the election ended, there was a good reason to question the election. Pivotal to that, some one one man could have actually done something and just questioned it and held things up. That was the vice president. And he's now conceded that he believes he could have at least opened the path to question election fraud. Now, up to this point, he's been very clear that he had no right to do anything other than to certify the election. He went on CNN State of the Union, which means he's courting Democrats who despise him for his stance regarding, regarding abortion and homosexuality. And he defiantly throws uh, Trump under the bus. He said Trump, he, he allegedly attempted to overthrow the 2020 election and defended his actions while blocking the ex-president from doing so. And he said, what I want the people to know is that President Trump was wrong then and wrong now. I had no right to overturn the election. By God's grace, I did my duty under the Constitution of the United States, and I always will. And Pence, along with Congress, certified the election of President Biden as the winner of the 2020 election over Trump's objections. But when he got on Fox News, things changed. He admitted he could have rejected the electors on January 6, 2021, which would have turned the matter over the House of Representatives, also known as the People's House. But he did not do so because he feared chaos. And what I take that to mean is he feared that the there'd be some more mostly peaceful riots and more cities burned down and more people dead. This means that he admits that he knew that he had a legal ability to do this. And uh, he did have a little nasty remark about Trump's gaggle of crackpot lawyers. What would you say about the two Boston University professors? These guys came and uh, they published a law review article holding that the 12th Amendment gives the vice president vast authority to determine the validity of electoral submissions. And on Twitter, we get from Michael Tracy. Last year, two Boston University professors published a law review arguing that the vice president is the sole federal officer with discretion under the 12th Amendment to determine the validity of electoral vote submissions. Presumably, they risk being charged with felonies now. 
And part of what they said is, is if there's a genuine dispute over the validity of a certificate, for example, if two certificates arrive from a single state, or if there are facts suggesting that a certificate delivered to the president of the Senate, usually the vice president, was not actually sent by the state's electors, the Constitution commits the determination of the certificates to the vice president. Subject to challenge in federal court by a candidate who's denied the presidency or vice presidency due to the vice president's decision. Any other process would violate the, the 12th Amendment. And they finish. What this means in light of the recent controversy over the 2020 election is that although the Constitution left him no discretion to reject electoral vote certificates provided by state electors, he was the only appropriate federal target of efforts to invalidate electoral vote certificates in disputed states. Now, doing so, you do that at your own risk, right? You know, who you want to continue for a second term of the White House, and you put that you would be accused of putting your thumb on the scale, which is exactly what the leftists did, what the Democrats did. But you know, there's a strong and legitimate argument to be made in favor of his having that power. This is what the Constitution maps out. If we were actually constitutional, this would have been done, and. Uh, it's just a matter of counting numbers. You can have a clerk do it just as a clerk counts votes in Congress. An assigned task must have some meaning behind it beyond being a rubber stamp just because, okay, it comes to me, now I'm out. Did my duty. At the very least, the Supreme Court should have been called in to determine what role the vice president had on January the 6th. Ideally, that would have happened before January the 6th, and failing to do that, it should have happened after Pence signed on the election. But matters got out of hand on January 6th. Um, uh, surprisingly, another distraction crops up. Thank you, Democrats. The Democrats managed to avoid any objections to the vote count, making it ineligible for Supreme Court review. Once that was done... Apparently, it's something that can't be undone, I guess. That's what they would say, anyway. Regardless of the whatever the merits of the argument might be, the point is Pence has admitted that he believes that he had the power to reject manifestly fraudulent counts or to halt the vote because of double slates of electors. And he was too afraid of leftist violence to do his job. And he has conceded that he's a weasel. So while he's out there, and don't get me wrong, religion has its place in the foundation of any man or woman, without a doubt. But for all of his God talk, this guy's dishonest. He's a liar. He's been lying all along. He's been lying all this time. When and, and see, the, 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 the way you measure a leader is when it's the worst time. You don't measure him when everything's going good. You measure him when he is at, when, when things are worst and when he is taking the biggest risk. And then you find out whether or not this guy's fearless. And this guy was fearful. A leader that is fearful can't do the job. That has always been the case. It's always going to be the case. Trump knew this all along, too. This is the thing that uh, uh, stuns me about some of this stuff when everybody's out there talking the stuff about Trump. 
Trump's making a lot of uh, mistakes and he's doing a lot of unforced errors at the moment, but Trump knew that this was going to happen. And Trump picked Pence because Trump knew that he was going to have to deal with the Pence's in, in Congress. He, he's going to have to deal with that type. So I guess he tried to get Pence as a bridge to them because he was as opposite of Mike Pence as he could be. But all, all, all things considered, when you look at it and you see this, this is a guy that he's thrust into a role. What else does a vice president have to do on a daily basis? Here he's actually given a moment of responsibility to the country. And I'm not talking about him being a leader. and I'm not talking about anything else. He had some responsibility to the country to make sure that this was a valid election. I don't mind losing an election if I lose an election honestly. I don't mind my guy losing if I lose an election honestly. If it gets stolen from my guy. If the process becomes so prostituted that you can't trust it anymore... And it's just, uh, we just told you what just happened, so just live with it. No, that's not just, it's just never going to happen. Mike Pence had a chance. He had a chance to stop it. And he didn't. He did not stop it. We're going to talk about intellectuals because they are also a problem. <laughs> this is News Talk 98.9 WORD. I was so wound up uh, just thinking about what I was just talking about. I forgot because today I get it's Tuesday, two a Tuesday. I get to talk to my old pal. Joining me now from Dewey's Pawn Shop is Dewey Lemons. Good after or good morning, sir. I'll get it right sooner or later. Good morning to you, sir. How are you doing? I'm good. How, how good. are things? How are things? I went by Dewey's yesterday and they were jumping. You guys were yep. jumping yesterday. Yeah, we've been real busy here the last few days. Sure have. Before I left, it looked like some gentleman had come in there and he had a, a collection to sell you. He did, yep, yep. He had a handful of guns. He was getting rid of all of them. That's, that's good. We've been buying a lot of collections here lately. That's that's a good thing because we've been seeing some good stuff come out of the woodwork. That's, Do people that's that we normally, get a lot of rare and good guns, people yeah, walking yeah. in and selling that, them to us. That's what I was going to say. I mean, people that sort of have these multiple guns that they keep for a long time, normally they take pretty good care of them, don't they? Some we some we get that are not good shape, but boy, some we get are just meant. You know, it's, you you never can tell. Right. One thing I've been seeing uh, there's there's a there's this whole uh, resurgence going on. Like Ruger took over Marlin, so now they're making the the lever action guns that Marlin used to make. Right. Yep. And yep. Uh, uh, CZ has bought Colt. Yep. And uh, so now is the Colt. Is the Colt uh, Python coming back out? The Colt Python, yeah, it's back out. There's, um, there's, a, they've been out for, oh, I think it's been over a year. Yeah, we've sold a lot of the new Pythons. Yeah, they're back out on the market. They sure. Now, are they as good or better than the older gun design? You is... know, I hear both. Um, I had a guy in here the other day telling me that he liked the new one way better than his old one because he felt like he could shoot it more, and it just, he said it just feels more like a more durable gun he says but then right. you know i hear the other way you know i hear people say well they ain't you know the old ones are the most pretty you know they're so pretty compared to the new ones and so i you know i i haven't fired one enough to can really compare them but um you know i hear both coming down from, you know two different ways they some people like the old ones and some people like the new ones but 
it's a good thing. I'm glad they came back out with it because I, I think it's a great pistol. Yeah, I always wonder about, uh, like, uh, the, the best gun I had as a younger man. I think I bought it from you when you were on Stone Avenue. I think Kendall sold it to me. Yep. Um, I bought a Smith and Wesson forty five oh six. Yeah, they they those things would feed anything. They were they were good about you could put any kind of forty five shell in it and it would shoot it. Yeah. And 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 they were accurate and they they yeah. stayed together pretty good. It was all steel gun and everything else. And uh, when what what do you think about the shift with handguns when they decided to go from the all steel guns of the Wonder Nine time? to the plastic fantastics that we have today? Um, lightweight. Everybody's on the lightweight um, thing these days with pistols and rifles, too. I mean, that's a real me and a customer were talking the other day about how everybody wants such a lightweight rifle, and, and it's, it's really hard to get something that's that lightweight that's going to shoot better than a, than a heavy gun. You know, the heavier the gun... You know, if it's not too heavy for you, you know, it's it's usually a, a more accurate and more controllable gun. Um, but, I, you know, the lightweight stuff has its place. You know, when you're climbing a mountain, but you don't want a heavy gun dragging you down. Or I had a police officer tell me one time, if you're standing there holding your gun on the suspect and you got to hold it there until somebody comes to help you and you got to hold it and hold it on, and you got a heavy gun, you're going to start running out of problems when you can't keep your gun where it's supposed to be, you know. Yeah. So. I mean that happens when I'm going to the range. If I stick if I stick the gun out there, even in a plastic fantastic, if I stick a Glock or one of those out there that uh, all of a sudden uh I, I start to get the shakes. What happens uh, now, I don't know if you saw this video or not, but there's a video out from some police department where they are arresting somebody and apparently somebody kicks a guy on his holster and his SIG P three twenty goes off. Really? Yeah. Goes off in his holster. Uh, when, when a gun like that, when a gun like that starts having these public problems, do people come to you saying, how much will you give me for this? Trying to dump these guns on people? Not, not too bad. We, we see that some certain models sometime over the years I have, but I haven't heard anything about that on the 320. Nothing at all. That's, that's the first I've heard of that one. Well, um, I didn't believe it. See, I, I knew, uh, you know, I, I know that if you, drop a gun there's so many thousands of accesses that it could land on if you drop a gun and if you drop it just right on the on the very right one on the earlier 320s yes it would go off i know about that um and i i'd never heard about the i mean most of the time when you hear about a cop having an accidental discharge it's actually a negligent discharge isn't it yeah well yeah that's for sure yeah so i mean and that happens that happens uh, and, and, but it, it does cause problems. So, um, with, when everybody jumped to the SIG, but anyway, well, I'm glad you told me that I'll have to look into that a little bit more. I have not heard that, um, about the SIGs and we sell a lot of SIGs, man. You know, the, the, the 320, I can draw a face on a target with a 320. Yeah. That's, um, you know, that they, they won the government contract, you know, yeah. they, they did everything in the world to make that thing the best and beat out Beretta, and and you know they were just cheap. They, you know they they did everything that Beretta did, but they made it a little bit cheaper. Is why the government went with them, really. Yeah, they were going on this modular handgun concept, yeah. which that would be hard for Beretta to do because Beretta's a steel gun, and it's just you know it's not modular. Yeah. Yep. 
One thing I'm looking into starting, just because I saw somebody doing it the other day, this will be something I may be coming to you about. I'm looking yep. into getting into that long-range precision shooting. We have um, a lot of those in stock right now. Um, that's, that is a really fun thing to do. Um, it, it, it really hit its peak about, I think, three, four years ago, maybe five years ago. But there's still a lot of people that's into that, and that, that is fun. That is fun, especially shooting steel targets, you know, at 500 yards. That's great. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, I was talking – I had a guy on uh, Lock and Load, and we were talking about 1,000-yard shots. And I was like, what kind of guy oh, do you yeah. have to do that? And, I mean, you've probably taken 1,000-yard shots when you've been hunting, right? No. No, 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 no. I've never, <laughs> I've never shot at anything like that. Well, how far? When these people like to do these long-range – you know, somebody said, well, I was going to shoot him at 800 yards. I said, at 800 yards? Man, I'd – you know, I get me a sandwich and eat lunch and everything while I'm on my way, getting closer and closer that far. I mean, that's a long ways right there. You know, and that's 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 really not hunting. That's that's target shooting. You know. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, 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 would you think those kind of shots are made on a regular basis with a possible moving target at 800 yards? No, no. not at all. Is that the difference between? And, uh... and 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 you hear people say that. You hear people say that all the time, but. You know, it's that's um, I I I I'll, I'll be willing to bet I've done as much hunting as as any of them, and I very the farthest I've ever shot anything was 500 yards, and that was that was the last minute of the last day, and we had to turn and go back, or we were going to be stuck on the side of a mountain. And, and was this know, the bear? We were gonna, huh? Was it the bear? No, no, that was a sheep hunt. That was a okay. Sheep hunt. Okay. Yeah, that was we'd been we've been hey we actually chased it all day long. I mean, from like ten in the morning till, I mean, you could still back. This was in Alaska, and you could almost still see up to ten o'clock at night. And it was about then that we finally said, hey, we got to make the shot now, or we ain't gonna get him. And, one thing, uh, one thing about Dewey's is Dewey's for, for those of you looking for a long gun. That Dewey's has the biggest selection of long guns, every type of long gun out there. You want a twenty-two? He's got a whole row of them. Lever action, he's got three or four rows of them. Uh, precision guns, he's got them. Black rifles, he's got them. You got them all. Shotguns, some of the nicest shotguns I've ever seen. In any event, if you're looking for a gun, whether you're going to carry it or it's something you're going to hunt with, you should go to Dewey's Pawn Shop. Tell him I sent you, and uh, you know Dewey might autograph something for you after you buy it. Yeah, we'll, we'll sign it, Bill Frady, for you. <laughs> Thank you for joining me today. Come see us. we got the biggest inventory we've ever had. Indeed, Dewey's Pawn Shop. We're going to get on with the intellectuals now just because they're so easy to beat up. This is News Talk 98.9 WORD. GS Plumbing Talk Line is 1-800-905-0989. The Common Sense Time and Planning Test Text Line. <laughs> Gosh is 71307, and yes, I do speak English. Let's go to the phones. Let's talk to Mike in Greenville. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. How's it going? T uh, turn your radio uh, down, please. Turn your radio down. Uh, I'm coming through the radio. Okay. Okay. Well, hang on. Let me put it on the phone. Yeah. Okay. Is that better? Is that better? That's more good. Or yes, sir. Thank you. Okay. Um, I saw an interview back in the 90s with Carlos Hathcock. And the reporter was asking him about that time he went up into North Vietnam to take out that North Vietnamese general. We had to crawl across that field for three days to get within range. 
And you just very nonchalantly said that I had to get within 700 yards to be assured of a one-shot kill. The reporter didn't blink an eye. I almost dropped my cup of coffee because he just told everybody that he never missed a one-shot kill out to 2,100 feet. Pretty impressive, isn't it? Well, now you consider he wasn't using a, one of these M2010. Oh, no, he was using Mac- During Vietnam, they were using like a deer gun almost, right? He would, he would say it, it gets better. A leftover World War II <laughs> Winchester Model 70 in 30-odd six with a scope that's not near as good as what you can buy for 200 bucks today. Yeah. And this, he had confirmed kills with that round at 1,700 yards. Yeah. Those guys, those guys of that era, they had to take uh, some very old equipment and make it work in a lot of cases. And until the uh, later later part of the war, but uh, that guy getting it, and they probably used that gun because it was reliable, oh, they didn't they? Yeah, that's what they had. Well, they knew how they um, knew how to make it work. Well, and if you look at the ballistic, he used a hundred seventy-two grain Sierra boat tail match grade round. Um, but you look at all the stuff they do to these rifles nowadays. Yeah, you look at the M twenty ten. It's got three different barrels that come with. It depending upon what ammunition you're going to fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Modularity, yeah. that's the thing. Just out of curiosity, that boat tail ammo, did it wobble on its path? Well, while all those conical bullets wobble as they come out of the barrel, but they stabilize in about 0.05 seconds. If you see if you see super slow motion of a of like an M16 or an AR15, yeah. as a bullet exits the barrel, it's it's just got the wobble to it. But it stabilizes once it get out and gets it out into the air. Yeah. And uh, I've done. Um, God, the last time we I qualified at Fort Benning, we were at 300 yards, and I was using M16A1. Had so much use on it. The parkerized finish was down. So, to so, so you had the one with the Mattel handguards. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, well, well, Mattel, Mattel was the only people that were the only people who were experts at at plastic molding. Yeah. Tumble molds. Yeah. And you know. We made fun of them, but it worked. It did but work. You, it worked better yeah, than the you, A2 handguard did. Yeah, I like a pistol grip on the front of mine. <laughs> yeah, like in, pull it in and so pull you it know, in I, I what what era were you in? What, what years? What, what time? What time in the in, in the Six, world? Sixty-eight to ninety-nine. Well, yeah, you. I mean, you were dealing with stuff that was in its infancy. I mean, but it, when I got in in eighty-four. I was still dealing with the same Mattel handguards because I guess it worked yeah. so well they just didn't ever change it. And we didn't have vertical four grips or any of that. I, we didn't have optics. Back then, I, I can only imagine what you were like. I mean, because in the 80s, we always well, thought we were faster than bullets and all this other stuff because yeah. we didn't have armor or optics or nothing. Yeah. Well, the the uh, the markers that they put on the targets are three inches in diameter, right? Right. The last time I qualified at Fort Benning, I put – they had one marker down the lower right-hand corner, almost off the target. I'm going, well, hell, I missed the whole target twice. <laughs> but you put they it all in. down to the. Yeah, you you were hitting it hard, this, right? This, Dead center. This was with a world. This is with an A1 using A2 green tip ammunition. Right. From a prone, I was on prone position. I couldn't do that standing. My life depended on it. But all these people are going to these one and seven twist ARs for this precision shooting, and I'm going, if I can do that at 300 yards with iron sights. And M two and A two ammunition. Why do you need one and seven twists? Well, you did. All you did, Mike, was you were just proving one thing: it's not the gun, it's the man. 
You know, right. I said, you know, we had a we had a kid over there that could do that standing up. Yeah, well, he right. shot a three inch hole out the middle of the target before not, we were done that day. Yeah, it's not the gun. And, uh, yeah. and they were trying to get him to go to the the, the, the guys in the Seabees, the Army guys. They're trying to get him to move over to the Army and go to sniper school. He just looked at him like, "No, I'm not doing that." <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> Mike, let me jump before I run out of time. Thank you for the call. Uh, you you proved my point. It's not the gun. It's the man. And, I mean, I, I, I tell people that all the time on a regular basis. That's some good stuff. The guys of the 60s right now, you know, you see these guys wearing these military veteran Vietnam hats. When those guys were in Vietnam, they were engaging an enemy that had no other choice but to try to kill them. That was the choice they had, death or try to kill them. And anybody that went to Vietnam and came back and actually saw combat and came back, those people, in their day, they were the most dangerous individuals to walk the earth in combat. And they do not get, they never get their due, ever. They never, ever get their due. Because of, uh, you know, during the 60s, there was this whole, uh, uh, you know, another trendy thing to, it was trendy to hate the military. We, they were baby killers and this, that, and the other. And uh, they didn't understand what it takes to, to do the job. And those guys that were in you see a guy that's a Vietnam vet. He's an older man now. He carries baggage. And he exists in society that has no idea about what he's seen. And these guys, I mean, I can't imagine what it was like in the 60s. Because the, the, the M16 platform, when they started fielding it, it was not really designed to be out in that, in that kind of an environment. <laughs> the gas impingement system was not designed to be out there in that environment. So if you meet a Vietnam vet, or any vet for that matter, any vet for that matter, but especially a Vietnam vet. These guys have seen something that you don't ever want to know about. You don't ever want to see. And they did it. They did it. They they, they flourished in a non-permissive, non-permissive environment and came back. Now they've aged and they're forgotten. Veterans are the most forgotten people out there. But I'm going to do something about that. I'm going to be doing something about that very shortly. Everybody's going to remember very shortly. And when we get back, now we'll talk about individuals, or excuse me, in, intellectuals, and, and how the price society pays for them. This is News Talk 98.9 WORD. All right, the GS Plumbing Talk line is 1-800-905-0989. The Common Sense Retirement Planning Text Line is 71307. And I am... I am streaming live on the WORD Facebook page, and it's available on the Odyssey app, Lock and Load, Straight Talk. It's all there. Elitists, the, the intellectuals out there, they get out there and they think, they think of themselves they're morally superior, and because they're so morally superior, they are entitled to advance their ideas by any means possible, even if that means breaking the law. Because they're going, they're looking for justice. This is justice. They're looking for a sense of justice. And the way they do this, the way they characterize this, the pretext is that this is urgent or exigent circumstances or it's an emergency. So this is how they power their ideology. And the intellectuals actually live in a illusion. They live based off of an idea, both in their person and socially. 
their life begins and ends with the idea. This explains all of the Biden administration's negative policy from the imaginary green energy systems and the carbon taxes and invasive biosecurity and illegal immigration and discriminatory affirmative action, hostile agricultural policy, deliberate war instigation and lack of U.S. military preparedness and more. Which then raises the intellect versus intelligence problem. Thomas Sowell says intellect minus judgment, or excuse me, intelligence minus judgment equals intellect. And this highlights the difference between the Biden and the Trump administrations. Trump was a businessman and his cabinet was drawn almost exclusively from business and industry from people with work experience, except for the ones that really mattered. <laughs> and that filled the progressive left with an irrational contempt. And this is why they want to silence Trump. And it partly, you know, the Biden team, by contrast, is made up of college students and intellectuals and ideologues and extremists using methods described as terroristic, like Jennifer Granholm, for example. Which raises an alternative way of thinking, which might be called American pragmatism. And he, Trump was a pragmatist. And pragmatism is a big problem for the left, for the intellectuals. What does it mean? It generally holds out that the meaning and truth come from practical outcomes, that foreign policy also reflects a real politic approach to realism. This is where we get, I mean, this is why Trump would get out there and he'd look at, uh, you know, the guy in North Korea and go, you know, if you do this, I'm going to incinerate you. When you're actually focused on real problems that require real ingenuity and some skill, the demands of the problem solving make theories and internal division less important we're not looking for theory right now for example the transgender idea is a theory there's a theory out there that we can, you know people can get out there and decide that they're not men they're women and they're not women they're men and uh, it's all theor theoretical this is why intellectuals as a group are generally attracted to government or at least as they perceive it government is a top-down institutional opportunity and this bypasses what is really necessary to get to where you need to go, you know, with practical work. Actual work comes from the ground up. And it normally takes a lot of cooperation to do it. Intellectuals don't like that because they don't like to actually work or to cooperate or to compromise. They prefer to talk and divide and take and imagine. Conservatism defends the rule of law. The left, you know, that you know, the conservatism is about consent. The left social uh, psychology is the rule of a rule and executive decree. And Trump knew this, and this created an instant clash of the culture. One pragmatic and practical in experience, the other one all theoretical and naive to the point of being dangerous. All of this, by the way, is right now being developed for you as you're paying for your children to go to law school. This is what they're learning about theory. This is all being taught and grown within the nation's law schools. Law school deals in ideas. So it generally attacks individ or attracts individuals who seek to work their ideas through the intellectual abstraction of legalism. 
And when you think about it that way, and when you think about the things that they're wanting to do, and you think to yourself, this is an abstraction. This is an experiment. It's a theory. This is all doing, being done to see what the outcome is. And when it doesn't work, they'll try something else to see what the outcome is. In the in the interim, of course, you're just uh, you're, you're we're we're suffering. We're suffering when it comes to this, you know. So, the problem with theory is it lends itself to corruption really fast because they'll get out there and they will go corrupt. But then. The whole idea when they, they you come to a point like Biden has. Biden has come to a point where he understands, well, you know what? The idealism really doesn't work. All the theories really don't work. So you know what? I'll just make money off of it. Law is used to corrupt law itself. And when law becomes institutionalized, then the institution becomes the law. 22 hours between me and you next time, so I will be here. You're listening to News Talk 98.9 WORD, the voice of the Carolinas.